please open your Bible. This morning, this morning we're going to be in Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll see where we end up. Let's pray before we jump into this particular passage of the text this morning. Lord Jesus, you promised that you would be with us to the, to the very end of the age. And you promised that you would send another, the same as yourself, to come and be with us, who would reveal you, who would guide us into all truth. Lord Jesus, thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us. And we ask now that you would help us to get hold of of these words that have been inspired, that have been sovereignly, supernaturally recorded and passed down to us. Lord Jesus, would you reveal yourself? Would we be confronted with your majesty and your beauty and your goodness? Lord Jesus, where we need to be convicted of sin or of righteousness, would you convict us? Where we need to be healed or released or set free, Lord God, would you heal us? Would you release us? Would you set us free? Where we need to be comforted, would you bring us peace? But Lord Jesus, would we see you more clearly? And when we leave this place, every one of us today, would we have a greater sense of your nearness to us and of what it means to be your people? Lord Jesus, would you speak to us, please? We ask this in your precious name. Amen. For those of you who are joining us um, this morning, this is week 35 in Corinthians for us, which is kind of cool. Um, over the last couple of years when I've had the opportunity to hang out with ministers from other churches, um, there is a sense of awe and terror uh, when I tell them the way that we've ended up kind of working through different books of the Bible, um, and also this uh, this unmistakable kind of air of jealousy, because they understand it's a really kind of selfish, greedy thing as as a Bible teacher to go, yeah, let's just look at the next verse, whatever that is, rather than kind of having to look through particular big swathes of it. So it is a real privilege, uh, and I have felt selfish as we've looked through uh, Philippians, as we've looked through Joshua, as we've looked through James, as we've looked through John's Gospel, and now as we're looking through Corinthians. We're just going to recap a little bit of what we've been having a look at, particularly through chapter uh, 14. We're going to reflect a little bit on some of the points that Paul has made, and uh, and then as it so happens, we just get to talk about the Gospel this morning. Yeah, which is exciting. This entire series... Um, in Corinthians, we've given it the title Simple Church. And one of the wonderful things about Corinthians is you start reading the book of Corinthians and you realize how screwed up these people are. And it's, okay, that was funnier in my head than it was out here. Yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. That's good. They're really screwed up people. They get things wrong all the time. They have cases of incest going on. There's people who are just praying in tongues continually and, and people can't get a word in edgeways for prophecy functioning. A whole lot of stuff is going wrong in Corinth, and the Spirit of God is at work and moving. He continually gets hold of messy people, people who don't have it together, people who, who aren't functioning properly, and he uses them. This word has continued to come up. Stella. That's, we have, that's right, we have some other Greeks in the room this morning as well, don't we? Yes. 
Yeah, like the building up of a house. And Yes. So we've had a little bit of a chat about where this idea of ecclesia comes from um, in the ancient Greek world, in the ancient Roman world, uh, where we find it, uh, this same word in Scripture that's not translated as the word church, but it's translated as the word assembly because it's not the building. It never has been the building. Jesus did not promise that he would build his temple or that he would build his synagogue. He promised that he would build his ecclesia. His assembly. And so we've been having a look at what did that mean in first century Corinth. Um, and going through this way that Paul is measuring everything else that's going on in, in this, this ecclesia, in this family, in this community is to go, is that actually building someone up? Is that building other people up? If someone walks through the door with questions, is that building them up? Um, we've had a look through, uh, chapter 14. Um, and last week we had a look at a wonderful uh, passage of Scripture where Paul talks to a number of different groups in the church about uh, remaining silent. So we see in verse 28 of chapter 14, the first group that needs to remain silent and why and the specifics of it and the second group in verse 30 and the third group in verse 34. I'm not going to preach last week's message again because I think it went for nearly an hour. I'm sorry about that. But we talked about the way that we need to be sifting all passages of Scripture to go, what of this is contextual and what of this is timeless? Understanding that what the original um, intended audience would have heard would have been highly um, affected by their context, but that the way that we read the Scriptures is affected by our context as well. We talked then about Paul's words uh, to Timothy as Timothy was about to be deployed into Ephesus and what was going on in Ephesus with the temple of Artemis, um, who looked a bit like this, apparently. Um, and the coins, uh, this uh, cultic worship of the divine female essence that was going on and the way that Paul pushes back against that. And then we ask this question, what do we do with it? How do we take those things which are timeless to do with the very identity of God, the divine triune life, uh, or the fancy word is the perichoresis of God, the inner life of, of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and how do we apply that in our context? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read along with me. This is NIV that we have up here on the screen. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul is changing topic. I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By the way, for those who are visiting, I color words in because it helps me to understand who's talking to who and stuff. Okay. Verse 2, by this gospel, literally this good word, this good news, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you. Paul used those exact same words that we read before out of chapter 11 to do with um, the Eucharist, communion. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, 
and then to the twelve. Even though there were only 11 of them, they were still called the 12. Verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. We'll talk about that in a moment. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Let's have a look at some obvious things in the text, and then we'll talk about some implications of this for us. The first obvious thing I want to point out here is that Paul is needing to remind the Corinthian church because the section that he's about to go into is he's about to talk about death and resurrection because of teaching that had had drifted in um, like mud on people's shoes that they had walked in. As people come to faith, they bring weird beliefs with them from, from all around the world, from all different sorts of cultures. It's no different today than it was in Corinth. And these ideas had, had drifted in from, from different sects of Judaism, um, from uh, different, different uh, Greco-Roman philosophies that had been floating around, that there is no resurrection or the resurrection is not physical or that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. The, these questions were going on in the first century. And Paul here is saying, let me remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. You received it. You've taken your stand on it. You are saved by it. Verse 2, and Paul makes it very clear that the, the Corinthian church and their faith is not based on him. It's based on the word. It's based on the gospel. Paul has spent the first four chapters of Corinthians railing against the leadership of the Corinthian church. If you remember, we spent a lot of time in the first four chapters with Paul going, you have got to hold on to the gospel. And Paul pulls apart the relationship even between himself and Apollos to go, don't hang on to us, hang on to Jesus. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And then he makes this really simple point here in verse 3 that they have not missed out on anything. One of the things that had soaked into the early Christian church was this idea that there were hidden or secret practices um, it's roughly summarized as Gnosticism, that there are these hidden teachings that Jesus gave some people, but he didn't give others. And so you didn't just need Jesus, you needed these secret teachings as well, these secret rituals, these secret practices. And Paul here is saying that he has passed on everything that he's actually received. And here it is. Here is how simple the gospel is. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried. He was raised on the third day. That's the good news. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected. Jesus has overcome death. You and I need not fear death anymore. And then he says here, verse 5, 6, 7, and and we see here into verse 8, Paul makes this, this simple point because of where he's going to talk about resurrection and physical bodily resurrection. He's saying Jesus has a body and he appeared to the apostles. He actually appeared to them. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. 
The word or the term I should say that Paul is using here in verse 8, this is the only time you'll find it in the New Testament. And this is the polite way of saying stillborn. That's the word that Paul is using as to one who was born too late. Paul is, is using this term. Some commentators will argue that it's because he did not meet Jesus while Jesus was in his physical body. For him, Paul, it was the, um, uh, the Damascus Road experience. But this word is not found elsewhere in Scripture because it's a very, very offensive word. It's something even in our culture today, as, as free and liberal as, as language is, that we wrestle to have conversations around this particular topic. And this is how Paul describes himself. This is how he sees himself. And the connotation here is that almost something unspoken of. Not something shameful, but just something that is so in the background that, that's even difficult to be talked about. That is how Paul sees himself being visited by the Lord Jesus Christ. Last of all, he appeared to me also, contrast, as to one abnormally born. And then he says these words, for I am the least of the apostles. And this is really the first time in Paul's literature that we find him using apostle as a title for people rather than as a function. I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the ecclesia of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. And his point here in verse 11 is, no matter who you've received the gospel from, whether you've received it from Paul, whether you've received it from Peter, whether you've received it from, from James or from one of the other apostles, it's actually the same gospel. If you have the gospel, you actually have all the different pieces that you need. Eight years ago, I prepared my very first sermon to preach here at Kerrang Baptist Church. And I remember sitting and putting the slides together. I remember being in the office here and actually taking this photo album and photocopying it and being disappointed that I left the plastic on it. <laughs> and I knew then that on this day, I would be using these same slides. And for eight years, as wonderful, beautiful things have been going on through this community of faith, as we have fed the hungry, as we have clothed the needy together, as we have visited and, and sat in the dirt with those who are imprisoned by addiction and by poverty and by stuff going wrong in life, as we have welcomed people who have been strangers, in every single one of those incredible, beautiful moments, I knew this day was coming. And you've heard me say these words, I don't get to grow old here. We look back. This is what we talked about eight years ago. The scriptures for us are like God's photo album. And we don't pick up a photo album because it happens to be a, a, an extraordinary work of literature. We don't pick the Bible up because it's an extraordinary work of literature, though it is. We don't pick the Bible up because it's full of fascinating um, terms and because it's you know uh, an interesting collection of genres we don't pick it up because of that we pick it up because we want to see the face of the one that we love we want to see the face of Jesus like we talked about earlier that is why we pick the scriptures up that is why we study them that is why we come and we are part of a community of faith because as we serve together we see 
We see the face of Jesus. We see the hands and the feet of Jesus at work. We see the spirit of Jesus at work in each one of us, causing us to go and get down in the dirt with the people who are the lepers, the people who are the the poor and the downtrodden, the people who are misguided, the people who have questions. We see we see these snapshots of what God has been like, and we remember, because as we remember, it helps us to move forward. As we read what the Lord has written to the Corinthian church, we learn from those lessons, we celebrate what has happened, and then we get up and we do something with it. And as we look at our photos, as we have a look at some of the silly things which have happened, and some of the wonderful things that have happened, and I'm sure over the last eight years we have made some contributions to the silly things that have happened, we look back and we celebrate and we remember and we plant a flag in the ground and we say something amazing of God happened, now I'm going to get up and I'm going to go forward and I'm going to do something with it. It is good to celebrate, it is good to remember And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. There is is never a day that the gospel has had its day. There will never be a day where the gospel is past. The gospel is present. We don't live in the past. We live in the present. And we look back and we celebrate. And even today, we can look back over the last couple of years and we go, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Help me to live tomorrow. Help me to get up. Help me to get on with it tomorrow. Very young David Senator there in the top left. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, you had better be holding on to the gospel and not holding on to me. Great words to hear from a leader like Paul. And for every single one of us that is serving in in a leadership function, in a leadership capacity, it's a great thing for us to remind ourselves of is that we need to continually be stepping away and making sure that what people are holding on to is that they are holding on to the gospel and that they're not holding on to us, that they are leaning on Jesus and not leaning on us. I know I've shared with with the elders and the deacons here a bunch of times about this idea of deliberately taking time out of our roles, having having like a Sabbath year or or a jubilee year where we step out and we go, I just want to step aside so that I know that my identity is not wrapped up in my role and that people are leaning on Jesus and not leaning on me. Paul is doing that for the Corinthian church. You need to be holding on to the gospel and not holding on to Paul. I love this. We only have one box left of great is thy faithfulness. It was true eight years ago. Somehow it's still true today. We've given a lot away, and I think someone prayed over that box of books because it's still full. Um, Paul says to the Corinthian church, I have given you everything I have received. And some of you, as you've been looking at these pictures, these photos up here, are seeing people that have handed the gospel to you. People that have handed you the stories of God's faithfulness. People that have handed you a legacy. People that have handed you tools for for disciple making. 
Paul says to the Corinthian church, I've given you everything I have received. You are actually not lacking anything. Nothing has been held back. You have not been locked out. There's not some secret conspiracy to withhold part of the gospel from you. You have everything that you need. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. The gospel is simple. The gospel is simple. Paul positions himself accurately here in light of the gospel. Verse 8, as to one abnormally born. Let me, let me just read to you something quickly from 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, Paul writes this, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, I am not inferior to those super apostles at all. And here Paul writes and he says, I am the least of the apostles. He's telling the truth both times. It's going to be easy for Paul to brag on his, his upbringing, to brag on his skill, to brag on his training. Uh, and we, we see him sketch out his, uh, his qualifications on different occasions. We see him do it to the Galatian church where he goes, I actually know what I'm talking about. Here is where I come from. And yet Paul tells the truth when he says, I actually know what I am as well. I don't lag behind the apostles in wisdom, but I am the least of the apostles. The Holy Spirit has made it clear to Paul the conviction of sin for his failures. And this is one thing we need to take from this passage of Scripture as well. Paul is under no illusion that he is without sin. Paul is under no illusion that he is without sin. But that doesn't mean that he sits down in the corner and has a pity party. What does he do with it? Verse 10, I worked harder than all of them. The Lord's grace to me was not without effect. What are you doing with everything that has been handed to you? If the gospel has been handed to you, are you a cul-de-sac or are you a thoroughfare? As you look at the way that your time and your resources are being applied right now in your life, where are you making disciples? Where has the gospel that has come to you being extended out from you, whether in hospitality, whether in pastoral care, sitting with people, laughing with people, crying with people, whether in music, whether in service, whether in leadership, where are you making disciples? Paul takes these pieces and he knits them together. These three very, very simple pictures. Hold on to the gospel and not the preacher. You have everything you need and you're actually not missing anything. Kerrang Baptist Church, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. You are not missing out. And you need to know who you are. You need to know the way in which Christ has appeared to you. That while conviction of sin sinks in and we go, I am the least of the least, that we are also able to say, yeah, but I know what I am. 
And he has tapped me on the shoulder. He has tapped you. He has tapped us on the shoulder and said, get up. I have work for you to do. Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. Don't sway. Don't drift off. Don't get sidetracked. You will be tempted to follow personality instead of gospel, like the Corinthians. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. Don't do it. You will be tempted and even manipulated into thinking that you don't have all the right pieces. It's not true. You have the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. You have everything you need. If you are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is inside you, writing the identity and the will of God on your heart, revealing Christ, convicting you of sin and righteousness, bearing Holy Spirit fruit, guiding you into all truth. If you have heard the good news and followed it and laid hold of Jesus, you have everything you need. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. You will be tempted to see yourself improperly, but your sin does actually mean something to God. If God was not confronted and insulted by our sin, then a sacrifice would not have been made to atone for it. If our Father in heaven was not repulsed and revolted, offended and abhorred by human sinfulness, no sacrifice would have to be made for God's judgment to go onto that thing instead of onto you and me. Your sin means something to God. If God was fine with sin, if God was not holy at all, if he was not sacred, not special, not different, then Jesus would have never turned up. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. Praise God, Jesus turns up. God is holy and God is loving. Not only is our Father more terrifyingly holy than we can fathom or articulate, he is more terrifyingly loving than we can fathom or articulate. He is more terrifyingly loving of you than you have the capacity to get hold of. He is more holy and more loving than you or I can conceive of. By the grace of God, you are what you are. You will be tempted to see yourself improperly, either as too sinless or as too sinful, either as someone who really doesn't need to be forgiven of anything, like when Paul was persecuting the ecclesia, or as the worst of all sinners, even beyond grace. Stop it. Stop it. You are not too sinful and you are not sinless. The gospel is simple. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. You are a sinner broken and corrupt, and Jesus' capacity to forgive you vastly, exhaustively, immeasurably outstrips your capacity for brokenness. You will need to remind yourself and to remind the person next to you of the gospel. You will need to remind each other to get up off the floor. Christ has saved you. Your sins have been paid for. They have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Jesus is enough. We will need to get up from our pity parties and get running. The enemy will want you to get distracted by all of the material matters of this world, all of these temporary things that pretend to be of eternal value. You will be tempted to lose sight of the eternal, 
The enemy will want you to be deceived into wasting your life away without a thought for God's kingdom. The enemy will want you to feel accused, unlovable, unsavable, unredeemable, unworthy, unclean, unfit, unchristlike. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel others preached to you. The gospel you received the gospel on which you have taken your stand, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. This is what you believed. By this gospel, you are saved. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for you. Jesus is enough for us. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is enough. Let's stop mucking around. Jesus is enough. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Jesus is enough. So Kerrang Baptist Church family, my family here, who I love, you have the gospel. You have laid hold of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You understand who your king is and who you are dealing with. You have everything you need. So now what are you going to do with it? I'm going to close with a written prayer, one of my favorite prayers, the prayer of Sir Francis Drake. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity, and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength, in courage, in hope, and in your great love. Amen. Thank you, Max. Just stay here, Bob, Anthea, Georgia. Can I have the elders up here? We're just going to pray for this family. And um, then we're going to have a night. Let's as a congregation pray. Lord, we thank you for this family. We thank you for the last seven or so years, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for 
Bob's commitment to you to preaching your word as your word. Thank you for Anthea. Thank you for the kids, the family, the rest of them. Lord, we ask that you bless them as they head back to the big city. Lord, I think they've got accustomed to country life. and We just ask, Lord, that you will bless them, that you will create new friendships, deep friendships with people down there, that they may have um, friends who they can confide in, friends that they love. This for the children we ask as well, Lord, as they settle into new school. And we just ask you to bless all the children. Lord, we ask that you bless Bob and Anthea in the new ministry. We know you're going before them. And Lord, we thank you that we can confidently come before you and ask these things and know, Lord, that you have their best interests in mind. Lord, we just pray that it might be a real time of blessing down there in um, in Melbourne. Blackburn, and that um, they might be a blessing to many around them as they have been here. Lord, I can testify to that, and I know many others can, that um, they've been a real blessing to us. We ask you to bless them and that others might be blessed, that others might grow closer to you because of their ministry. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just ask also, Lord, uh, we want to thank you for Bob and Anthea and the children. Thank you for what they've done for us. Thank you that you they've been willing to serve you here. Thank you for the bond that we have with them. Thank you for the grace that you've shown through their lives and their ministry here. And Lord, we will miss them as they go. But Lord, as a church, we want to release them into your hands now. We let them go. We send them out with with your blessing and our blessing, Lord. Go with them, dear Lord. Go with them, dear Father. Go with them, Holy Spirit. Anoint them. And, go, and Lord, we send them out with our love and our blessings and our prayers to follow, that you will take care of them and, and bless them in the work that you have for them, that they will be well received and loved in the place where they will serve you in that new church, in that new community. Amen.